I love you, brother. Oh, I love you. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. Fifth and sixth graders are heading to their classes. All right, fantastic. So fifth and sixth graders can head out. And it is, it's really difficult for me to describe the joy that I have in my heart in being here. I feel like Barnabas in Acts 11 when he went to the church in Antioch and it says he saw the grace of God and was glad. I look at this congregation and I see the grace of God and it just fills my heart with such overwhelming joy. Um, I've been taking photos throughout this service. You shouldn't be doing that, but if you see me, like, uh, I just want to take this in, this moment, because it's a moment that we've prayed for uh, the existence of this church, and to see that God has done this is a glorious thing to me. And I want you to know as well, I'm coming off of uh, Sovereign Grace Pastors Conference this last week. Tim and Andy and the other pastors of Covenant Fellowship were there as well. Word of this campus is spreading throughout the churches to many of what God is doing. Uh, news of this work was shared with the hundreds of pastors who were there. At one point, I was sitting beside a pastor who's from California. He said he watched the video on the Covenant Fellowship website of the campus send-off and is so grateful for the example of all of you and that they are seeking to do what they can in planting churches, but looking to us and to you as an example. We get to be a part of this together, and it is an unbelievable privilege. And the men who are serving you in leadership, not only Tim and Andy, uh, but also Leo and Alex, are simply some of the finest men I know. And part of the history of how this formed, the desire for this, was not just a group of people who wanted to see this work happen, but the experience that I had of being public, uh, preaching God's word, and seeing Tim just seated there in the congregation week after week and thinking this man needs to be behind a pulpit more often because he has such a powerful gift of communicating God's word. And so to be able to have him serving in this way, I trust you know you are in good hands and that you esteem those brothers very highly in love because of their work. All right, let's turn to, uh, if you haven't already, to Ephesians chapter 1. We're looking at these verses that are continuing this, uh, this one long sentence that began in verse 3 and runs through the end of verse 14. It is simply glorious. Our, our sermon title, we're looking at verses 11 through 14, and the sermon title is A Guaranteed Inheritance where we see that this incredible grace that has come to us in Christ, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. These heavenly blessings include future blessings, an inheritance that is to come. The Christian life ends better than the Temple Notre Dame game did last night. All right, there are blessings to come for the believer, and it's this inheritance, this glorious inheritance that we want to consider here today, beginning in verse 11. This is God's holy and authoritative word, and oh, it's so good to be with you all. In him, in Christ, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him 
who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. Father, so many blessings that we have received in Christ. Would you so kindly open up our eyes to see the glory of this inheritance and the certainty that we have that it will Come and may our lives be changed this day as a result. Lord, we come to you, as we sang earlier, desperate for you. Crying out to you to pour out your spirit more fully upon your church. That we might come to know you more deeply and and hear from you the true, holy, living God this day. We humble ourselves before you. We long to hear from you and be changed by the power of your truth. Come and meet with us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I read an article in the news about a homeless man in Bolivia. He was referred to in this article and throughout Bolivia, in fact, at the time, as the millionaire who did not know his fortune. This article says there was no doubt that living in the streets for an extended period of time can take a toll on any person, making them paranoid and fearful of the authorities. It's therefore no surprise that Tomas Martinez, a 67-year-old homeless man in the streets of Santa Cruz de la Sierra, Bolivia, had the impulse to flee from the police as they tried to approach him in the year 2000 to tell him the news that he had inherited $6 million from a distant relative, $6 million, and Martinez fled. Uh, He was afraid of getting arrested for substance abuse habits, and after that first run-in with the police, who were never able to communicate with him, he was never found again, despite numerous attempts by the media and by charities to locate him. Martinez disappeared without a trace, Uh, supposedly continuing to live on the streets and in poverty, causing Bolivian newspapers to speak of him as a new millionaire, paradoxically not knowing his fortune. And the story went on to share that the inheritance was eventually given to someone else. That phrase struck me, the millionaire who did not know his fortune. As Christians, we have an inheritance waiting for us at Christ's return. We see that repeated in the text. Verse 11, in him we have obtained an inheritance. And verse 14 says that the Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. And you say, what is this possession that the Christian will receive? It is not silver and gold. It is not lifestyles of the rich and famous. It is not sitting on a cloud playing a harp embedded in a Thomas Kincaid painting. You know that would not be heaven. 
This inheritance is nothing other than God himself. In heaven, the dwelling place of God is with man. Revelation 21, verses 3 and 4. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. And if you want to hear good news of this hope this morning... Revelation 21 goes on. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. You who mourn know the truth today of what is to come. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. This is the inheritance that is coming to we who believe. To we who are in Christ. Heaven is that inheritance. And heaven is not, not an award to be merited. It is an inheritance to be freely given and received. Sometimes people think they will go to heaven because they're trying their best to be good people. But if heaven is for those who are good, no one is there because no one is good. And if we can earn our way to heaven through good works, then we don't need a savior. And Jesus died for nothing. But in fact, we know he did not die for no purpose because, well, it's really optional and people could get to heaven and the other way. No, Christ died to bear the wrath of God in our place, thereby securing this inheritance freely by grace for those who believe. And if you are a Christian, here is the staggering news that we have today, the inheritance is yours. The inheritance is yours, not because you have earned it, but because God gave it freely in Christ. And, and yet, here's the, here's the thing, even as we reflect on this inheritance, too often we live unaware of our inheritance. We're like the millionaire who did not know his fortune. And thankfully, as Christians, uh, we will still receive the inheritance, even if we go through life thinking about it very little and neglecting it. But we neglect this hope to our peril. And God, through the work of the Spirit today, is eager to encourage us and to give us hope. To give us hope by reminding us of the certainty of this inheritance, this guaranteed inheritance. And this passage is intended to produce confident praise in our hearts that influences the way that we live as we await the reception of this inheritance. It, it needs to be said at the outset because this is a, a passage full of praise, thanksgiving to God, to the praise of His glorious grace because we have this inheritance. I just want to hit pause at the outset and do so with a heavy heart because it needs to be said that that not everyone will receive this inheritance. There are perhaps those who are here today who will not receive this inheritance. Later in Ephesians, in fact, you can just flip a few pages if you're there. Ephesians 5 verse 5 speaks of those who have no inheritance is the phrase that is given. No inheritance. Those who will not experience the riches of heaven, but instead experience, chapter 5, verse 6, the wrath of God. For you may be sure of this, 
It says that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. And so if you're here today, maybe you don't know or maybe you know that that you are an idolater, that you're not worshiping Christ, you're worshiping the things of this world more than Christ. Friends, it's not too late for you. It's not too late for you. And God's brought you here today for this reason. And if you turn from your sin today and trust in Christ for salvation, this glorious inheritance can be yours. You can, you can know with confidence, even today, if you go to Christ, that you have this glorious future hope in Him. This inheritance is available to all who come to Christ. In fact, uh, you'll see this later in chapter 2, but here in chapter 1, in this section, Jews and Gentiles are in view in this passage with the language of we and you that's throughout. Do you see that? We is referring to Jews, you referring to Gentiles. Verse 12, we who were the first to hope in Christ. Uh, that he, Paul's speaking there as a Jew. Jews have this esteemed place in salvation history and in our hearts. We who were the first to hope in Christ. Then in him you also is a reference to Gentiles. And we'll see, this is just hinting at what will become a major theme in chapter 2. Uh, but the point here to note is that none are excluded from this inheritance on the basis of social status or nationality or ethnicity or race. All can come freely. All come and receive this gracious inheritance from our generous king. I wonder, do you live in the good of your future inheritance? Does it affect the way you live? Now, what difference does this inheritance that is coming to you make in how you now think and live and feel. This heavenly inheritance should be an encouragement to those of you who have little in this world. Some of you, and it's a source of sorrow too, you have no riches, you have no financial savings, you have no earthly inheritance. And perhaps that's something that's been weighing on you, the the difficulty of getting by in this world. Maybe you recently received a salary decrease or you do not feel you're paid fairly for your work or you, you, you're struggling to even find work to do. Maybe you come from a family that doesn't have much in terms of wealth. Maybe you're sad you can't do more for your kids. Friends, this inheritance is an encouragement because you can know today that you have a heavenly inheritance. And In Christ, you have indeed riches and wealth that far outweigh the riches of this world. It's a small thing if you cannot afford to get your kids the gifts you would like or can't contribute financially to their college education or have no earthly inheritance to pass on. It's a small thing because you can guide your kids to a heavenly and eternal inheritance in Christ where they are infinitely more rich than anything that this world has to offer. This heavenly inheritance in Ephesians 1 is an adjustment when we are tempted to overvalue the things of earth. There's a pastor from a few hundred years ago named John Flavel. He was a Puritan. He said, it is horrible to see how industrious many are for an inheritance on earth and how careless for heaven. Don't make that 
mistake. Don't be industrious, hardworking for the earthly inheritance while neglecting the heavenly inheritance. Don't value inheritance in this life more than the eternal inheritance of God and heaven. Why? Because here moth and rust destroy, and you know it. Here thieves break in and steal, but oh, Brothers and sisters, there is an inheritance that God speaks of here that is far better than any earthly inheritance, even the earthly physical inheritance of the land of Canaan promised to God's people because here is something that cannot be taken by war or by famine or by hardship. Here is something that is out of the reach of the trials of this world. Nothing in all creation is able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's Romans 8, 39. And this heavenly inheritance is therefore, I'm just taking time to explain why it matters. This is a comfort to those who fear the future. You feel weighing upon you the insecurity of this world, the uncertainty of what lies ahead, maybe you're moving into a new season in life. Maybe you've moved to a new area or are relocating to a different area. Life has its changes. You're taking on new responsibility. You're heading off to college. You're stepping into a new job. You're fearing that you're going to fail. You're faced with uncertainties in life. The future is unknown. Well, friends, here is something that is absolutely certain and unshakable. We don't know much about the future, but this we do know, that there is an inheritance coming. And when everything in life gives way, the inheritance remains. It remains kept by God for you in heaven. This inheritance is a comfort to all who have made sacrifices, walking the path of following Christ. I'm aware for those of you who are a part of of starting Risen Hope Church here, there have been relational sacrifices, there have been financial sacrifices to start this work. There have been sacrifices that have laid claim to your time. Some of you have thought, what have we gotten ourselves into? And just trying to sort between all the service opportunities that you are confronted with. Now know that the sacrifices we make in this world pale in comparison to the glory of the inheritance that is coming. This heavenly inheritance is a great hope to those racked with the effects of the fall. Those who know that sin clings closely, those who are experiencing sickness and suffering of many kinds, we know when we are reminded by God of this inheritance that we are not without hope. We live awaiting a future inheritance. And inheritance means something is coming. Some people say, this is what it means to live the Christian life. My life is a mess. Well, the gospel is good news of a great future. And all of what has been secured for us has not yet been applied to us. The future is better than what we now know. If this is as good as the blessings of salvation get, we might rightfully wonder whether indeed we are that blessed. But in fact, there is a day coming when sin and suffering and pain and loss will be no more and the inheritance is fully ours. And our view of that inheritance sustains us and makes all the difference in this world with all of its pains and sorrows. It's a popular illustration, perhaps you've heard it. Florence Chadwick 
noted for swimming the English Channel in both directions, decided to swim the 21-mile stretch of icy water between Catalina Island and the coast of California. It had never been done by a woman. At the age of 34, she was determined to be the first. So she had the date set, July 4th, 1952. Much of the country was watching on TV. Well, at several points during this swim, rifles had to be blasted over the waves to fend off sharks. Nearly 16 hours in the water uh, as she was in, she complained of numbness at that point as she continued on. She squinted to see the shore, but the fog had reduced her visibility to almost zero. And so she called out to her mother and her trainer and the rescue boat that she could not go on. They encouraged her, keep on, continue on, you can do it. But when she looked to where she thought the shore should be, she could see nothing. And so she gave up and she was pulled out of the water. Imagine how she felt when she discovered that she was only half a mile from shore. Uh, She knew physically, that she could have made it. She knew she could have done it. Later, she told reporters that she wasn't making excuses for her failure, but if only I could have seen the land, I know I could have made it. And she's right. If if only we can see the land, then we can make it. In fact, then just a few weeks later, she attempted the same swim and finished in record time, not only becoming the first woman to complete that icy swim, she also beat the men's record by two hours. If only I could have seen the land, I know I could have made it. Christian, we know that the end is near. We know what that future holds for us. And what we need in life is the certainty the unshakable confidence that the inheritance is coming so that we can live in the hope and the joy, the encouragement and the comfort that the inheritance is intended to provide for us in the here and now. There are a few reasons for this confidence that are given in these verses. I want to look at them now. This confidence that we will one day receive an inheritance. This is something that God doesn't want us to be in doubt about. And the whole purpose of this text is to take that future inheritance and to say, Christian, here are the reasons you can be absolutely confident that the inheritance is coming. Reason number one, we have been united to Jesus Christ. Verse 13, verse 11 as well, begin with those words, in him. If you haven't done it yet, you might just want to read through the whole book of Ephesians and see wherever it says in him or in Christ. That's what this book is all about. In him, we have obtained an inheritance. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth. So this inheritance comes to all who are in him, those who are in Christ. It's language referring to our union with Christ because all of the the benefits and blessings of the gospel come to us through this union with Christ including our future inheritance. So sometimes you hear people talk a lot about just how blessed they are. I'm blessed, I'm too blessed. Well, Ephesians doesn't start just with I'm blessed. It's we have been blessed in Christ. With every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We're not just blessed, we're blessed in Christ. We're blessed because we have been joined to Jesus. And if you have been joined to Jesus, the only possible way for you to lose your inheritance is for Christ 
to lose his inheritance, and it is impossible for Christ to lose. His triumph is our triumph. His victory is our victory. And, and we are so prone to wonder that, that it is our great hope that we have been bound to Jesus, joined to him. We, we sin much every day. I, I recently preached on James 3, was studying James chapter 3 and godly speech. James says we all stumble in many ways. So I thought, okay, uh, he's talking about the tongue, so I better sit down and make a list, start thinking of the ways that I stumble in many ways in my speech because that's what God's word is, is saying about it. So I started to make this list. It got really depressing really quick. Uh, the ways that I stumble in my speech. I have used, I didn't need to go back any further than a month really to realize I have used argumentative words in ways that make my wife feel like the two of us are on opposite teams. And I've used defensive words to communicate that I don't want to hear feedback from others. And I've used slanderous words to subtly make people think less of others. I've used joking and sarcastic words in ways that have not been fitting to the moment. I've used harsh and impatient words with my children. I've used rude words in elders' meetings that are lacking gentleness and love and communicate that I'm more interested in scoring points and, and, and winning arguments than making sure that the brothers I work with feel heard and understood and know I am for them. Last month in an elders' meeting, I asked several guys afterwards for forgiveness for sinning against them that way. See, all of us are sinful. Uh, all of us stumble in many ways. And so if we're going to say, what's my hope for the future? It can't be, well, I'm going to be able to pull myself up by the bootstraps and, and make this on my own. No, we have to be joined to a champion. We have to be joined to someone else who can fight for us and who can win for us. We need what verse 13 describes as the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. I stumble in many ways. I sin in many ways. I need a savior. And those words, when you heard the word of truth, that phrase is intended to remind us of our conversion. Christian, remember and never forget what the message of grace has accomplished in you. Remember how you were united to Christ. And you are saved not because of anything you did, but because God gave you grace to hear and to believe. And he has joined you to Christ. And the fact that you are joined to Christ is a reason for confidence. What's the reason for confidence? That you will receive the guaranteed inheritance? You have been united to Jesus Christ. You are in him. Another reason, a second point for confidence. God the Father always accomplishes his will. This is verse 11. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. That phrase having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. God has a will. God has a purpose. God has a plan that he established before the foundation of the world. He works sovereignly all things according to the counsel of his will. God always accomplishes that which he sets out to do. I was reminded of a, of a Time Magazine article they ran on the top 10 
quitters sometime back, uh, mostly over the last 50 years or so. So John Lennon made the list uh, for pulling the plug on the Beatles because none of them were really happy anymore. So September 1969, he told the band he was leaving. Uh, the professional boxer, Roberto Duran, four-time world champion, also made the list for abruptly leaving the ring in a fight against Sugar Ray Leonard in 1980. Duran just walked off in the eighth round saying, no more, I don't box anymore. Uh, one of the most talented running backs ever to step on the football field also made the list, Barry Sanders. He retired at the peak of his career under 1,500 yards shy of surpassing the all-time rushing record at that time, which was held by Walter Payton. And with four years that he still had remaining on a six-year, $36 million contract, Sanders eventually explained that his decision was spurred by frustration with the Lions' losing record, and then we can begin to understand. Uh, you read something like this, though, and you say, you know, none of us, who among us accomplishes everything we set out to do? Who of us doesn't quit or fail? I love telling the story of a time in college when I went running with Megan. Megan, my wife, uh, is a cross-country All-American, and uh, I wanted to win her heart, and so I thought uh, I better... Uh, she probably is going to like a runner, so I better try to, to run. And so I said, uh, I'll join you for a run. And so, you know, how far are we going? She said, oh, I'm, just, I'm doing like a six-mile run. I forget what she was doing. I was like, all right, um, I've got this, you know, no problem. So we set out on this run together. And uh, she's talking, and I'm just breathing heavily the whole time and trying to, to keep up with her. And eventually, um, she looks at me, you know, Do you need, are you doing okay? Because I'm just like a step behind her, but I'm hanging with her. And I'm thinking, like, uh, if, this, if I can't keep up with her, this completely backfires, you know? <laughs> uh, no one wants to marry a loser, right? And so, um, so I'm, she sees me there, I'm running with her, and I apparently start to look rather ill because uh, she said, do, do, uh, do you look okay? Do you need to stop? Uh, and eventually, I wasn't going to volunteer it myself, but she said, how about you stop here? I'll go run an extra loop and then come back. And I said, okay, good. I'll wait. I'll wait here. I was exhausted. I stopped. She keeps running. And immediately, I'm like on the ground. I throw up. Uh, and I'm laying on the side of the road. She comes back. And I was like, I threw up. And, and she said, okay, how about I go pick up the car and I'll come back and get you. And so I was like, okay. And somehow... She still ended up with me, and I cannot explain it. We have a will. We have a purpose. We have something we set out to do, and so often we fail. Is God like us at that point? No, not at all. He is not like us. Our God alone works all things according to the counsel of his will. God the Father always accomplishes his will. Commenting on verse 11, Sinclair Ferguson had this phrase. He said, there is an ultimate invincibility about the work of God. Ah, oh, yes, there is an ultimate invincibility about the work of God. Ultimate invincibility. And what is his will? What is his work? It is our salvation. It is that we receive, brothers and sisters, the promised inheritance. When God saves us, he not only has in view our past conversion, but also our full, ultimate salvation that we will receive in the future. And if God works all things according to the counsel of his will, it means not only are we saved by grace alone, we are also gloriously kept secure 
by grace alone. And that means your perseverance, your reception of that ultimate inheritance does not finally depend on your performance. When I fear my faith will fail, Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, he will hold me fast. So reason for confidence that you will receive the guaranteed inheritance, God the Father always accomplishes his will. And one more reason for confidence that's given here, and that is that we have been sealed with the Holy Spirit. So we've been united to Christ. God the Father always accomplishes his will, and we have been sealed with the Holy Spirit is another reason for confidence, for hope today, that we will receive the inheritance. This is from verses 13 and 14. In him, in Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, that's at your conversion, and believed in him. Notice, how do you become a Christian? Well, you hear the word of truth and you believe. Hear and believe. When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, this is what happened to all of us who believe, to all of us who are Christians. You were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, verse 14, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. We sing this. uh, The Spirit guarantees our hope until redemption's done, until we join in endless praise of God, the three in one. That's what the Spirit does. He guarantees our hope. Uh, In fact, we see several things about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the promised Holy Spirit. God had promised through the prophets to send the Spirit. He did so on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. And we were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. What does it mean to be sealed? Well, in uh, I suppose you have this some today, but in biblical times, it was even more common, especially with, with uh, cattle, with slaves as well, to, to, to seal, to physically uh, make, put an imprint, sear an imprint upon something as a mark of ownership and, and protection as well, so that something would not be stolen. Those are the twin concepts that are in view with this idea of being sealed, um, so I know someone who, every time they get a book, they seal the opening page, you know, they put, put their mark upon it. So if you borrow their, they, they know it's theirs. They're going to get it back. They're going to be able to find it. Um, it won't get lost. And it's a statement of, of ownership, possession and protection. A seal says, this is mine and no one can take it from me. And Brothers and sisters, that is exactly what God has done for us in sealing us with the Spirit. He says, you are owned by me. You are kept by me, guarded by me, protected by me. And this is something that he does for all who have believed. All Christians receive the Spirit, and the Spirit is a promise from God that he will bring us safely home. And perhaps one of the greatest things we learn here about the Spirit, not only the promised Holy Spirit, Uh, sealed with this promised spirit, but also, he's not only a promise fulfilled and a seal, he is a guarantee of our inheritance. That word guarantee means a a down payment, an installment, a a pledge, like a deposit that you would put on a home. So it's not just a promise, it it is a part of that which is to come. The implications here are staggering because it means that the inheritance that is to come has broken into our present 
experience. We have a down payment. We have, in other words, part of the inheritance in the present. And through the Spirit, we not only have the promise of what's to come, we have a present foretaste of it here and now. We have a foretaste of future glory. So P.T. O'Brien comments on this verse, says, because of the ministry of the Spirit to our hearts and lives, we can begin to enjoy this everlasting possession now. Because the Spirit is at work in you. And the Spirit is a guarantee of that which is to come, a down payment, so that we can, in the here and now, begin to experience a foretaste of the riches to come. Charles Spurgeon says, also commenting on this verse, by the Holy Spirit, there is given to the people of God, even now, experiences, joys, and feelings which prove that they shall be in heaven, which do more, which bring heaven down to them and make them already able to guess in some measure what heaven must be. Isn't this what we want Isn't this what you long for as a congregation? To know a greater taste of heaven here. To have the Spirit of God poured out upon His people in greater measure until we acquire that final possession of our inheritance. All of the activity of the Spirit that you see now is a part of that guarantee pointing to that future inheritance. You see how the Spirit of God inhabits your your praises and your fellowship, and the community you enjoy, and the gifts of the Spirit that are evident among you, and the fruit of the Spirit as you experience victory over sin. All of this is the Holy Spirit at work in your life, and all of it is a foretaste of what is to come. And so, reason for confidence that you will receive the guaranteed inheritance, we have been sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance. God is drawing your heart today. He is drawing our hearts to confident praise of the triune God. Now that phrase that we've already seen in Ephesians 1, to the praise of His glory, is repeated two more times in these verses. Confident praise of the triune God. Confident because, Christian, your future in Christ is certain. Praise because God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And to the triune God, because we are united to Christ, to God the Son, kept by the Father who always accomplishes His will, and sealed by the promised Holy Spirit until that final day. Friends, are you experiencing hopelessness today? Are you experiencing suffering today? Receive hope from the Spirit of God? Are you uncertain whether this inheritance is yours? Repent of your sin. Believe in Christ as your only Savior. Talk to a friend. If if there's any question about where you stand on that issue, talk to a friend about where you're at and what that means. Is your heart set on the things of this world? Uh, Lift up your eyes. Let us lift up our eyes together and treasure the hope of eternal life. And together, as the redeemed people of God, let us praise Him. Let us praise Father, Son, and Spirit for this rock-solid certainty that we have of our inheritance. To be found in Jesus, what a future is mine. 
the riches of grace in the fullness of time. Our inheritance waiting will one day be claimed to the praise of the glory of Jesus' name. Let's pray together. Father, such great reason for comfort, for confidence, for certainty, because we have obtained an inheritance, because we've been joined to Christ, because you, Father, always accomplish your will and you've sealed us with the Spirit as a guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of your glory. Oh, Father, would you ground us in this hope? Would it be as an anchor for our souls that come whatever trials and difficulties may in life, we are able by your grace to stand firm as we fix our eyes on that glorious final hope that has been promised to we who are in Christ. Confident praise of the triune God, all for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.